As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there, I'm Nurse Mo, and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast, where I teach nursing concepts and share tips on how to thrive in school and at the bedside. So if you're listening to this in real time, Merry Christmas. It is Christmas week, and I have a special little gift for you today. We're going to be talking about pharmacology. Before we hop into that, let's take a quick minute for a listener shout out that goes out to Kennedy, who says, after going through boot camp, I realized that it doesn't have to be stressful. Boot camp taught me all about how to be that best nurse I can possibly be and how to study like a nurse, which allowed me to manage my study time better, leaving me more time for other things like going to the gym and hanging out with my friends. Kennedy, thank you so much for taking time to share your experience with boot camp. And I'm super excited for you that you still had time to do some things that bring you joy. That was one of the driving factors for why I created Crucial Concepts Boot Camp in the first place. So thank you so very much. If you're curious about Crucial Concepts Boot Camp, I've got a link in the episode notes so that you can check it out or just go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on courses in the top menu bar. All righty. So today we're talking about a pharmacology topic that would have been really handy had I known all of this when I was a brand new nurse in the ICU. And we're going to be talking about rapid sequence intubation medications. So rapid sequence intubation, or RSI, is a procedure performed to emergently intubate a patient who has an intact gag reflex in cases of acute respiratory failure and or cardiovascular collapse. As a nurse working in the emergency department or the intensive care unit, you will be obtaining and, in some cases, administering the medications used to perform a rapid sequence intubation. Now, please be aware of your scope of practice and facility protocol regarding the administration of some of these medications. In some cases, the medications can only be administered by another physician. Now, which combination of medications the physician chooses is going to vary depending on a variety of factors, including the patient's condition and also physician preference. A common combination is a sedative with a short-acting paralytic, though analgesics and other medications may also be utilized. So let's talk through the common medications that could be utilized in rapid sequence intubation. And again, which of these are utilized is going to depend on the patient's condition and physician preference. So first up, we have propofol. Propofol acts on GABA receptors to provide sedation as well as amnesia but it does not have any analgesic effect. Because propofol's sedating effects occur by suppressing actual brain activity, it is a common induction agent for patients with brain injury, though care must be taken to avoid hypotension in those patients because that would cause decreased cerebral perfusion pressure. 
And due to propofol's ability to reduce airway resistance, it may be especially beneficial for individuals with bronchospasm. Despite these benefits of propofol, it does cause myocardial depression, vasodilation, and a decrease in mean arterial pressure or hypotension, so it is used cautiously or not at all in patients with hemodynamic compromise. With that said, propofol is one of the most common medications that I've seen used at the bedside for rapid sequence intubation. It has a pretty quick onset of about 40 seconds and lasts for about three to five minutes. You're going to watch out for hypotension. Next is succinylcholine. So succinylcholine is a neuromuscular blocking or paralytic agent. Medications that cause neuromuscular blockade have shown to increase the success rate of rapid sequence intubation while reducing the incidence of complications. Note that patients are always, always, always sedated when a paralytic is used. Otherwise, the patient would be unable to move, yet acutely aware of their situation, which sounds like a living nightmare. This can lead to significant distress, tachycardia, hypertension, and increased ICP, not to mention terror for the patient. Because succinylcholine causes a transient shift of potassium out of the cell, it is avoided in hyperkalemia or in patients at high risk for hyperkalemia, such as those with rhabdomyolysis. It is also avoided in patients who are predisposed to malignant hyperthermia as it is a known triggering agent for this life-threatening condition. It has a quick onset of 30 to 60 seconds and lasts between 4 to 10 minutes. You're going to watch out for hyperkalemia, malignant hyperthermia, and bradycardia. So that's succinylcholine. Next, we have rocuronium. Rocuronium is a non-depolarizing neuromuscular blocking agent that is utilized when succinylcholine is contraindicated or when a longer duration of action is desired. If the patient is known to have a difficult airway, non-depolarizing agents are generally avoided. Two adverse effects to be aware of with rocuronium are bronchospasm and anaphylaxis. It has an onset of 45 to 60 seconds, so pretty quick, and lasts up to 30 to 45 minutes. You're going to watch out for anaphylaxis and bronchospasm. Now there's also vecuronium, another non-depolarizing neuromuscular blocking agent. It's not as widely used as rocuronium due to its longer onset of action, which can be up to three minutes. To help offset this, the MD may order an initial priming dose that does not induce paralysis approximately three minutes before they want that main dose. When a priming dose is used, the onset of action is much, much faster. So with vecuronium, when you use a priming dose followed by the main dose, its onset is 75 to 90 seconds. When the priming dose is not used, that onset can be up to three minutes. The duration for vecuronium is also pretty long. It's 30 to 40 minutes, and you're going to watch out for hypoxia when there's no priming dose because of that long delay between administration and intubation. The patient can still continue to be in significant respiratory distress. You're also watching for bronchospasm and anaphylaxis. We'll take a quick break and come back to finish up the list of medications used for rapid sequence intubation. 
At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Okay, we're back and another commonly used medication for rapid sequence intubation is Etomidate. Etomidate is a sedative hypnotic agent that acts on GABA receptors to block neuroexcitation while producing anesthesia. It does not provide analgesia or tend to cause hypotension, though it can cause adrenal suppression and myoclonus, which is often mistaken for seizure activity. Because Atomidate does not cause hypotension generally, it is often used in hypotensive patients and in patients for whom hypotension would be especially dangerous. It has a quick onset of 30 to 60 seconds and lasts about 3 to 5 minutes. You're going to watch out for myoclonus, laryngospasm, and arrhythmias. Next, we have ketamine. Ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic that provides both analgesia along with amnesia and sedation. Since it does not cause respiratory depression, it is often used for what's called an awake intubation in patients with a difficult airway. It is also a hemodynamically stable medication, making it especially useful in hypotensive patients. The catecholamine release associated with ketamine theoretically causes bronchodilation, though the evidence supporting this is limited. Regardless, ketamine may be utilized in patients with severe asthma for this reason. Note that some patients may experience emergence phenomenon in which they have vivid dreams that can be disturbing as they come up from a ketamine-induced anesthesia. However, since most patients undergoing RSI continue to be sedated for a period of time, this is usually less of a concern. Ketamine has a pretty quick onset of 30 seconds and lasts about 5 to 10 minutes. If high, high doses are used, it can certainly last much longer. You're going to watch out for hypertension due to that catecholamine release along with that tachycardia. And you're going to watch out for emergence phenomenon. Next up is fentanyl. Fentanyl is an opioid analgesic that may be utilized in some cases. For example, that catecholamine release associated with intubation can cause hypertension, which may be dangerous for patients with aortic dissections or other cardiovascular disease. You most often will see fentanyl utilized in coordination with etomidate or succinylcholine to provide sedation and analgesia. It has an onset of about 1 to 2 minutes and lasts 30 to 60 minutes. You're going to watch out for hypotension. And then we have benzodiazepines. Benzodiazepines such as midazolam cause sedation and amnesia by acting on GABA receptors, but do not provide any analgesia. Due to its anti-seizure effects, Midazolam is an effective choice for rapid sequence intubation in patients with status epilepticus. 
at its usual dose of about 0.2 milligrams per kilogram, midazolam can cause a decrease in mean arterial pressure of 10 to 25%. So sometimes lower doses may be utilized. Its propensity to cause hypotension means it's not the agent of choice in cases of pre-intubation hypotension, hypovolemia, or shock, though again, lower doses may be utilized if necessary. It has an onset of about 90 seconds, lasts two to six hours, though some sources I saw said it only lasts 15 to 30 minutes, and you're going to watch out for hypotension. So let's go back and do just a quick, quick review of some of the key points about each of these. Propofol, one of the most common that you will see. Propofol is going to cause vasodilation, myocardial depression, and hypotension, so keep an eye out for that. Succinylcholine can cause a transient hyperkalemia. So if your patient is severely hyperkalemic or having EKG changes because of hyperkalemia, you'd want to let the MD know so that they could choose something else. Succinylcholine is also avoided in patients who are predisposed to malignant hyperthermia. Rocuronium is a non-depolarizing neuromuscular blocking agent, and it's often utilized when succinylcholine is contraindicated or if we want a longer duration of action. Vecuronium is in that same family of rocuronium. The only difference with this one is that it's going to have that delayed onset and can take up to three minutes to take effect unless that priming dose is utilized. Etomidate is a popular choice because it does not cause hypotension, but it can cause myoclonus and adrenal suppression. Ketamine is going to provide analgesia, amnesia, and sedation. You're going to watch out for patients having emergence phenomenon if they're not sedated after they're intubated. And we can also have hypertension and tachycardia because of a catecholamine release with ketamine. And then fentanyl is another choice. This may be utilized in patients for whom hypertension would cause a complication, such as a patient with an aortic dissection or other cardiovascular disease. Note that fentanyl can cause hypotension. And then we have benzodiazepines such as midazolam. This is a common choice for a patient who is in status epilepticus who needs rapid sequence intubation. Note that midazolam can cause hypotension, so it may be avoided in patients for whom that would be dangerous or cause a complication, though lower doses may be utilized if necessary. So now let's do a little bit of pod quizzing to test your understanding of these medications. I'm going to ask a question pause for a little bit to give you time to answer and then tell you the answer. This is the format that I use in the pod quizzes inside my private podcast study sesh. And if you dig it, I'll put a link in the episode notes so you can check it out. Which of the medications could have up to three minutes before it takes effect? And for this reason, a priming dose may be utilized. That is vecuronium. Why might ketamine be utilized by the physician for a patient with severe asthma? That is because ketamine may cause some bronchodilation, which would be helpful when trying to intubate a patient with severe asthma. 
The patient is in status epilepticus and needs to be intubated. What medication would you suspect the MD is going to order? That would be a benzodiazepine such as midazolam, and this would be used in coordination with other medications, most likely. Which medication can cause myocardial depression, vasodilation, and is very commonly used for rapid sequence intubation? That is propofol, so you're going to keep a close eye on your patient for hypotension. Your patient has hyperkalemia with EKG changes and needs to be intubated. The MD asks for a neuromuscular blocking agent. Which one would be harmful for your patient? That would be succinylcholine because it can cause a transient hyperkalemia, which would exacerbate the patient's current hyperkalemia. So this patient has hyperkalemia. The physician asks for succinylcholine. You remind the physician that the patient has hyperkalemia and they switch to a different neuromuscular blocking agent. Which one would you suspect they would order next? Rocuronium would be a very common choice if succinylcholine is contraindicated. You have a patient who is hemodynamically unstable with a very low blood pressure and they need rapid sequence intubation. So the MD orders automidate for this procedure. What complication are you going to watch for that could mimic a seizure? That is myoclonus. What's another adverse effect of automidate? Adrenal suppression. Very good. Why might the physician order fentanyl when rapidly intubating a patient with an aortic dissection? Because in some cases, there is a catecholamine release with intubation that can cause significant hypertension, which would be dangerous for a patient with an aortic dissection. If the physician orders vecuronium for your rapid sequence intubation, what are you going to ask the physician about that could help shorten the onset of action for this medication? A priming dose. Very, very good. So now you have a pretty good overview of rapid sequence intubation medications so that when the MD orders them, you understand what medications you're getting and in some cases administering. Regardless, you're still watching the patient for any complications and adverse effects. Now, if you've enjoyed learning about pharmacology, I have a whole pharmacology program. It is audio-based with written out transcripts. So I guess it's audio-based and reading-based where I explain pharmacology concepts in five minutes or less. So if you're interested in that, it's called Fast Pharmacology. You can go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on courses in the menu bar. I will also put a link to it in the episode notes. 
Now, I hope to see you back here next week. We're going to be talking about graft versus host disease. So make sure you're following or subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you're using so that you never miss an episode. And I'll see you then. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. you find it hard to sleep at night then the calm cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long calm cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires all of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast calm cove is brought to you by the team behind sleep cove the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis meditation and stories so if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight search for calm cove on apple podcasts or spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night